So I'm here with Meredith Ginocchio, COO of Taste on the Fly. Meredith, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Thanks for pushing it back a little later. You know how these conferences go. <laughs> well, we're recording this in uh, the podcast studio, which is sponsored by Taste on the Fly. It's great because this is just gives it gives me an opportunity to really like get away from the the busyness of the conference and just really talk to some cool folks such as yourself. And one of the reasons why I want to talk, chat with you is I love, uh, even though we've known each other for a little bit of time now, I love discovering new folks in this industry and therefore letting other people like listeners uh, of the podcast to thus discover you. Excellent. So um, with that, we'd love for you to discuss your background and um, you know what brought you into this space, this wonderful space of airports. Uh, well, actually, I, it was Michael Levine dragging me, kicking and screaming. Uh-huh. Um, it's, uh, it started way back. Um, I was on the board of directors with the Golden Gate Restaurant Association and uh, met one of Michael Levine's founding partners, Scott Roderick, <clears throat> who really wanted me to, to meet Michael, and, and they wanted me to come work with Taste on the Fly, and I was completely and utterly disinterested, but you know, you don't want to burn bridges, you take sure. the meeting, so on and so forth, um, and uh, set up a meeting with, with Scott and Michael Levine, and it was the first time I met Michael, and I said, holy cow, this guy's insane, um, how animated, how talkative, I can't follow him at all, um, <laughs> and they started to talk to me about the airport space and what they were doing at San Francisco Airport, and I was, at the time, uh, much younger and pretty naive. You're still young. It's Thank you, darling. It's, it's all this makeup that makes me look so. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and I was really disinterested. I, I, I was sort of a little snobby thinking, um, you know, I, I do food and wine in San Francisco and had what many people at the time, 14 years ago, had a bad um, vision of what it was to be food and beverage at the airport. You think of, you know, three-day-old cellophane wrapped sandwiches and, and really bad fast food, and that's sort of your only option. Um, so I, I wasn't interested, but uh, Michael convinced me to take a ride with him to San Francisco. His exact words, by the way. It, absolutely. He's like, come on, take a ride with me. Because, you know, he comes off a little creepy sometimes. Um, it, but he also has a way of charming everybody and getting people to do what he wants. And I acquiesced. And um, the whole time I'm on this ride over to from downtown to the airport um, with this very strange man. And it was a very uncomfortable ride. But he wouldn't have recognized it because he was talking the entire time. Uh, we get to San Francisco Airport. It was a lot easier to get into security at that time. Um, so he got me in, and I saw uh, what is our Yankee Pier concept in Terminal 3 uh, of SFO and realized immediately what it was they were doing. Here were these super polished servers engaging yes. with guests, you know. There was this beautiful raw bar. There was a wine list that didn't have... Totally blew wood. your opinion of Yeah, and, and I saw this, you know perfectly grilled piece of swordfish with Erico Ver coming out of the kitchen and I was like instantaneously I got it I knew what they were trying to do and suddenly I went from oh god I would never work in an airport to I can be I can be part of this I want to be part of this I want to be part of this this change this new trend that's happening and uh, 14 years later and more than quadrupling the size of our company, I haven't killed Michael yet and I'm still uh, very happily with Taste on the Fly. Well, he's either talked you out of it or he's surprisingly elusive. Yes. In, in, in many ways. <laughs> That's very, great. very, very true. So 14 years. So our timelines kind of run parallel in mm-hmm. some ways because I'm, I'm going to be 15 
in mid-March or so. And like you, um, coming in at that time, it was, yes, you had your national branded stuff. You had, um, I think the celebrity thing, chef thing was starting to come in in oh, some yeah. ways because of Food Network. But that's really, the, that was like the launching point, I want, I want to say, because um, a lot of programs uh, were just looking at things differently, like Michael's. And, and that really is, in essence, what allowed us to be successful so early on. Um, at the time, there was still a... a it, it was still more common to have, um, you know, single operators in whole airports, things of that nature. Um, and we really came in when, when airports were just starting to consider, you know, bringing in local DBEs, having local business operators, having smaller, more artisan, um, you know, type of local brands. And so we were able, as, as a very young company and a bunch of entrepreneurs who were used to street restaurants and wanted to bring city style and city quality dining into that environment, um, you know, we were very nimble and just did what we would basically do on the street, you know, with, with some learning bumps along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the larger companies, when you get that big, it's a little harder to be nimble enough to respond quickly, um, which they certainly have now as we're, we're you know, 14 years down down the road of, of my time. Um, but we were able to have that almost niche uh, early on that, that gave us a good name. So Was it also attractive, in addition to how the industry was changing and it obviously reversed your perception of it, because you mentioned young company. It has, did it have like almost a startup-like feel? There was fun, it was almost like wild and we can like create and, you know, be crazy well, and all that stuff? Well, just about anything is fun and wild in hospitality <laughs> and with Michael Levine. Um, Two great ingredients, But it was definitely, you know, I don't want to call it mom and pop because we were, we no. were much more, um, you know, professional than that. But, but there was passion. We were, we were all, you know, owners, if you will. Um, and we got to create our own stuff. And, you know, that was, that was the fun time where it was like... It, the, the world was our oyster and we could take it wherever we wanted to, you know. Um, so, so that was, it was a pretty amazing time. So um, you obviously had a lot of uh, experience on the street side of things and uh, now you had a little bit of view on, on the airport side. Just uh, would love you to talk, what was that transition like? Now you said you were blown away. I get it. But what, I'm sure still you were learning about the ins and outs, the logistics and the constraints and all that stuff and it probably, I don't know if it's mildly irritating <laughs> or or it maybe you love that challenge and you know solving a puzzle kind of thing. so so mildly irritating uh, some i actually try to scare people out of management jobs um by letting them when they come from the street by letting them know how difficult it can be to, to transition um it was you know once you know the food and beverage industry street side i mean it, things are kind of the you know fairly similar wherever you go, managing the staff, managing your vendors, managing your costs, sure. you know, um, you know, marketing, promoting, all minutes. of that stuff. Um, but, but transitioning to the airport was one of the most educational slaps in the face that I've ever had. Uh, you had to figure it out and you had to figure it out real quick. Um, for me, I kind of thrive in those environments. Um, a lot of people do not. Um, you know, figuring out things like, oh, so my, I need to call a plumber, you know. Um, how do I get one in? Because he's got to get through That's security true. with all of his tools that are prohibited items. Yes. And, you know, all of your uh, product has to go through security. Your storage is, you know, three miles away in the other terminal. So if I forget yes. to get enough bread, well, guess what? I'm not going to have bread right. for a few hours. Um, so, so, so learning how to um, operate within those systems. And also what's, what's very different um, 
from the street side, usually anyhow, um, is all the different um, people that you have to work with in order to get anything done. You have, you know, your landlords and your airport authorities and everybody has, um, you know, some, some skin in the game and, and you need to work with all of them to get certain things done. So it can take a little longer. That can be frustrating. Um, but as long as everybody has the same goal of, you know, the guest experience, the passenger experience, um, then generally it's it's pretty easy to come to. So uh, I'm going to build upon that, and I would love asking that moment of learning kind of question, <laughs> right, where you kind of realize I, you, you might have touched upon it already, you know, you can't just get a plumber, this home has to be badged and all the tools and things, but would love for you to share uh, maybe something that allowed you to grow uh, because of a certain challenge. And, and you know, Ramon, I've, I've actually been asked that question before, and I really don't have an answer. In the beginning, every day was some great new learning experience. Um, you know, you're running into obstacles and challenges one after the other, hand over fist, and it, they all become valuable learning experiences. Um, it, to this day, there's still learning that happens um, and helps you grow and become a better operator, a better leader for your people, because then you can help them learn it without them having necessarily yeah, to make the same mistakes uh, that, that you have. So, Well, then let's talk about like maybe a memorable moment. And I'm sure with a, with a Michael Levine in the, in the <laughs> recipe, in the equation... <laughs> You know, I'm sure there is a memorable moment. Oh, there there. are lots, but I probably shouldn't talk about most of those. No, yeah. It's a PG family uh, podcast. Um, Again, you know, in 14 years, just so many fun, fun, memorable moments of, you know, openings that we didn't think were going to happen, but we all pulled together and made made magic happen. You know, every day it feels like um, winning bids that, that we wanted so bad, you know, fun events like these conferences where you just make some of the best friends. Um, so, I mean, fun, we're a fun company. We have some great, wonderful people. So it's it's kind of fun every day, most of the time, and I'm not saying that to, to make ourselves look like the best company ever, but I, I love my job, and, and we do have fun. Um, if we're talking funny, uh, quite embarrassingly, this was many years ago, so I'm over it now and can, and can talk about it. Um, I actually blew up the kitchen at our Yankee Pier restaurant in Terminal 3. You personally? I personally exploded the kitchen, and all of the uh, fire systems went off. The water was coming down. I had brand new employees in there that I almost murdered. To this day, there are still there's still evidence on some of the tiles that got singed. <laughs> um, yeah, so so blew that up. Uh, had to close. We magically were were able to open the next day, but that was. Wow. Um, yeah. See, something like that uh, in such a constrained space like an airport and something like that happens, I'm surprised you were able to so quickly. Uh, the only reason is that, we, the, is that the agility that you're talking about as it, well? It's, it's and the fear it's a, of Michael coming after you? <laughs> oh my God, if, when Michael finds out about this, we better already be open or he's going to kill me. No. Um, I, I told, told him right away and, and he was like, okay, just is everyone okay? And you know, let me know what we needs to be done. And it was really just about having good people because we had other um, locations in, in the airport. And so I just got on the phone and can you send me your dishwashers? Do you have extra managers? We've got a ton of water to clean up. Um, you know, the, the 
uh, airport was really good in helping get the fire department there and the health inspector because they both have to sign off on stuff before you're allowed to reopen after those systems go off. Um, so they were very helpful with that too. And just, you know, me and the chef and, and some great employees just sat there all night cleaning, you know, uh, wow. fi finding water in some of the strangest places you can imagine. And uh, we, we didn't open on time because it was, I think we had a 5 a.m. opening, but we were still open for breakfast. And that was probably uh, one of the proudest moments like where you just want to break down in tears afterwards like holy crap we made it through that we're open you know no harm no foul because this was all my fault and uh, I would have definitely felt uh, felt terrible about it so. but nothing noticeable in terms of I mean to the untrained eye it, it seemed like everything was okay or was it pretty noticeable that like something the, the next day when we opened it, it, it was definitely uh, you couldn't tell because it was yeah. it con the, the damage was condensed to the um to the back kitchen. Uh, it was a little noticeable that we were 86 to a few items because they all got <laughs> rained on and I couldn't use them afterwards, but. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Oh, you know, I want to talk about the company. You, you, you're, you're saying how you guys are very creative and it's, it's a very small, not small, maybe a very nimble type of firm, which is great, but it's always built upon the people, right? And I believe you, when we spoke or maybe I read, that you have, do you have a human resources background? in some ways. Sure. So how does that, um, I mean, before I get into that part, just talk about the importance of culture because something about that, again, we can point to, wow, I didn't know this, uh, my opinion of airports has changed because I've seen what Michael is doing. That's one thing that might have attracted you. But imagine, just uh, for me, please, what you might have been thinking in terms of the culture and apart from this really crazy guy who's just trying to sell you on a job. Sure. Um, culture, people in general, has always been really my passion, um, both from a, a workplace and just a you know sociological standpoint. Um, I, I think people are amazing. I've always realized and recognized that no matter what business you're in, um, and if you're focused on operations like I am, it's the people doing the operating, yeah. so it always plays a part. And the culture is really the great differentiator right now when we're in a, such a tight labor market. Um, and we're in these areas, you know, kind of like a mall, the airports are the same. There's there's so many people competing for the same pool of people. So if my cook is unhappy, he can walk out the door, go next door and, and work for that guy um, for, for the same amount or 50 cents more. So what is going to make people stay? What is going to make people happy with their job? What is going to make people perform well for you? And that always boils down to culture. Um, knowing it and um actually fostering a good culture are two different things. It's very, very hard to do, especially as your company grows. Um, so, you know, 14 years ago, um, it, it was pretty easy to just inspire a great culture organically without, you know, particular systems or programs because we were just there and we, you know, Michael and I would just feed our passion into each unit, into each manager. Uh, but now as, as we're, we're quite a bit bigger, um, not wanting to, to lose that focus and wanting to continue to build uh, upon our culture. You know, we've hired a, a director of culture and training, um, Donna Cope, who used to work for um, CSE, uh, who, who is here as well. Um, she's amazing. Uh, we have some really great, robust uh, reward and recognition programs. And just trying to make people feel appreciated is, you know, Michael and I are still in our units, you know, all the time talking to everybody. I still know most of them by, by name, yeah. um, which is wonderful. So it's, it's something that we're, we're still focused on. We're continually trying to improve upon, build upon, 
um, because that again really makes the difference in in your your financial success and uh, is the differentiator in in you know getting employees right now, which is very very difficult for everyone. So it's safe to say, like your that that HR focus really came in, comes in handy, right? Because um, I mean, it's easy to say I want to build a culture, culture, culture. It's become a like, buzzword, but yet. It's always it seems to be lip service with most people. It, 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 it's the buzzwords. Everybody knows that they need to do it, um, but how? How do you do it? And it's not as much my HR experience because a lot of that really was at the time. It was just a necessary thing for the company. We needed like the compliance type of HR and some you know uh, more robust training programs um, and, and to get people more aligned. But um, it, it really comes from making sure to have the right leadership who understands not only that people are important, why and how to make them feel important. Um, and, and bringing in Donna has been wonderful. Um, our two um, HR uh, reps are, are very invested in caring about our people. Um, you know, if your employee has a grievance, who do they talk to? If they're upset about something, do they just go, you know, blog terrible things about you or do they feel that they can directly go to talk to somebody who's going to listen, who's going to care. And we have those people, and all of our employees have access to that. Um, Michael obviously loves people above all, um, as you can tell when he walks around here shaking hands and kissing babies. Um, We've added, you know, all the the leadership um, that we've added throughout the years, including our our newer president, Edie Ames, is very people-focused. You know, they care about the people. So many operators come in, and their biggest focus is, you know, how do we move the needle on the P&L, which is very important. We're all in business to make money. Um, But the biggest driver of that needle is focus on your people. And even more so now that you've been made COO, correct? So that's like, it's just a great skill set, a great viewpoint as someone who's going to oversee a wider swath of the business in this position, correct? Yeah, and I think one of my uh, main focuses is to make sure that, because uh, we have lots of great operators, right? Well, we, we have lots of great GMs, we have lots of great directors of operations. They have those skills. They, they know how to you know fix things when they're broken. Um, they know how to, to, to manage their P&L and manage their labels. So one of the things that I always try to actually focus on even more with them is to make sure that they're always thinking, how does this impact our people? What have I done today to support our people? What have I done today um, to, to make them feel like they have good leadership, that we are a great organization to work with? Um, making sure that they're, they're not losing sight of these sort of softer goals, if you will, uh, while they're chasing the almighty dollar and efficiency in, in the operation. So that must, in turn, then cascade down to the customer. They feel it because that someone's is, happy and obviously they're going to provide that, That's better. the point. So we have, we have a couple of mottos um, for Taste on the Fly. Um, and one of them is every team member every day, which, which is our focus on providing you know exceptional work and caring about our team members um, every day. But the other one um, is every guest every time. And that's providing exceptional experiences to every guest every time. So it does cascade because we work first you know, with our people and we focus on, on our people making sure that they're well-trained, making sure that they're well-supported, making sure that they have all the tools and resources that they need, including the training on what our, our service expectation is. Um, and that then translates directly to the experience our, our guest has, um, which is probably the most important experience we can we can think of. But saying that, you know, what can, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What's more important, the, the staff member or the employee? And, and people will argue about it. You've heard the term, the guest is always right. No, they're not. 
but the guest, know. but the guest is always the guest, yes. and we are going to take care of them. So we we focus, you know, a lot more on our employees because that is the face to the guest. Um, you know, guests are incredibly incredibly important. We spend a lot of time. Um, tracking and, and soliciting guest experience feedback, analyzing it, responding to it, reaching out to, to them uh, for bad, good, or indifferent. But at the end of the day, it always goes back to to the employee who's really the one providing that experience. And we have to make sure our employees are able to. Is there anything in this industry now that 14 years in, obviously with all the change um, in terms of challenges that you see, that just more difficult? I mean, the typical ones are labor, um, you know, construction, And and some of those challenges are are never going to change. You know, I I would hate for the labor thing to be a ton easier because that would probably mean there was a lot of unemployment, which isn't good for our country. You know, the good news is unemployment's low, but the bad news is that exactly. I tell everybody the only bad thing about a good economy is finding employees. Um, You know, and and some of those things are always going to be issues, and we're all going to figure out different new ways to to continue to work on them, and they're going to change as soon as you think you have it figured out. There'll be some new obstacle, Uh, but I think right now where where the biggest opportunity for us as an industry is for the um, for the tenants and the operators to become a little more aligned with with the airports themselves whether they be with with the developers or with the the, the, the port authorities or the direct airports um, I would love to see you know greater partnership there um, it, and it varies by airport and by developer who, who seems to want to be more tenant um, you know, focused than others. Um, and I'm really excited now that, uh, the, um, airport restaurant and retail association is just now forming for us. Um, uh, was very, very excited about that. And I think that will be a, a catalyst in helping bridge the gap between, you know, what the, the airports and, and the landlords are focused on and want to achieve and, and helping bridge the gap between what the operators need in order to achieve, we we need some support. We need some understanding, um, and and I think that 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 is uh, on the horizon for us, which is great. How about your thoughts on what excites you with Taste on the Fly for the future? Oh man, uh, lots of things, of course. Um, <clears throat> For one, I'm super excited that we are now going to become an international company. Yes, um, Vancouver. Some. Very sexy projects in oh, Vancouver awesome. coming up uh, this May and June. Um, so, so learning, uh, you know, get, getting into an international um, space is, is super exciting for us, and hoping to expand upon that through through Canada and, and other markets as well. Um, you know, there, the, the future is very, very, very bright for us. Um, so, all the possibilities uh, that are out there do do excite all of us. Well, so. t- tell me a little bit about the uh, the upcoming Vancouver program. So what, what re- look at you cannot see this is because this is not a visual medium, but Meredith's eyes just like just twinkled even bright more bright. So, yes, uh, most uh, <clears throat> probably most of your listeners, and I know you, Ramon, are familiar with our Napa Farms market yes. concept. I love it, uh, by the way. We opened okay. uh, that in 2011. It was one of the first, you know, hip, cool artisan retail uh, markets, and it's been copied ten times over. I won't shout out names. Um, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know who you are. Um, and we've expanded upon that brand uh, in several other locations, including more in San Francisco as well as Boston. And um, so that is essentially what we are doing for Vancouver and turning you know that that idea into a Pacific Farms market. Um, we have a, a smaller location in the domestic terminal up there, which is um, 
great. It's obviously going to do what we do and just uh, celebrate the bounty of Vancouver and British Columbia and the great products that come from there. Um, more exciting, though, um, and I know uh, Morella, who's here um, at, at the conference, would, would be happy for, for me to, to tell all these details. Um, they are doing a new expansion of their international terminal, and they're building a whole new uh, wing of that, and there is this just incredible design that YVR came up with that is actually going to have the first indoor national park in the it had airport. To be Vancouver. It okay. had to be. It had to be. It is positively gorgeous, um, the renderings of, of just that space. Uh -huh. And then uh, Taste on the Fly is opening a very large, extended Pacific Farms Market, which has our, our typical, you know, retail, um, fast casual stuff. We'll also be doing a, uh, a pokey bar. Uh, Pokey's oh, yes. very big uh, in Vancouver. We all love that. Uh, and then we'll also have a great uh, full service um, restaurant and bar there as well that will kind of wrap around and um, mesh in with that whole sort of outdoor Vancouver feeling. Uh, lots of windows, lots of natural light. I mean, it's gorgeous. Uh, tell me about the uh, Pacific uh, Farms Market. Just give, like, what can I, what what is something about that in, that you're expecting? Now you said poke, so I'm really, really now intrigued, uh, even more so. But you know, just give me a little, a few details. On this. So. Um, Again, it's it's a proprietary market concept, yeah. you know, named after the the but region, of course. But local, we source from local stuff. That's what I love about stuff. Napa. Yes, you know? and it's the same thing for Berkshire Farms Market. Yes. You won't find a single New York product in there because the Boston people would be upset. Um, <laughs> but but it, for Pacific Farms Market, um, obviously, we're looking at the, the great um, providers in in uh, the Vancouver area. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite yes, things about my job, at. you know, is having to go out and eat and drink all That's the time to figure out stuff. So we've got, you know. Purebred Bakery is going to have a huge, um, you know, space for us. Uh, 49th Parallel is going to be um, our premier coffee. Both again, Vancouver-based, awesome products. Um, Leslie uh, Kiocho, who's our brand manager for all of our markets, is in the process of just checking out all the different cool oils and spices and meats and cheeses. So um, that's a lot of the fun stuff. And um, our, our friends at Smart Design, who uh, did these amazing Pacific Farms designs for us, have told me that they. They're Vancouver-based and told me they would be more than happy to set up a, a wine tasting and food tasting trip, and, and those guys uh, can be a riot. So it's it, it's been fun so far trying to procure the the products for this place. So this is really uh, again you. Uh, I'm going to go back. I'm sorry, I said no, my please. last question, but this is going to be. Not, uh, I have a couple more. So how exciting has it been? Obviously, seeing the industry grow, but even just with Taste of the Fly, from the moment you saw Yankee Pier to now. Yeah, I, I look back on it, um, and, and Does it make, I, I, I can't believe it. Like, in the blink of an eye, um, you know, looking at our year-over-year our -year financials from this little bitty number down here when I started to this, holy cow, how did we do that? Um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, a lot of strategic, you know, growth. Um, yeah, you're, my head's just, just spinning. But what's beautiful is it hasn't lost – we haven't lost our soul. We're still – the same people we were when we, you know, set out in, in 2000. Um, and that's been really challenging, number one, but very, very rewarding. And I, I still, the, the integrity of our organization is still there. And that makes me nothing but proud. Well, Meredith, that's all I have. Uh, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you, Ramon.